0: All right, praise God. We'll turn to our master text this morning in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, we're continuing with our series, Times of Refreshing. Um, can you take a little bit more talk about pruning today? Okay, for the last, I don't know, two or three or four sessions of this series, we've talked a lot about pruning. And I think that there's more to talk about in that regard. So if you have found 1 Peter, Peter, um, Chapter One. Go ahead and stand up with me, if you will. And we have a very short reading this morning, just three verses. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 8 says this. If I can find verse 6, there it is. Uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer gr- uh, grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which, is, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Read on to, through verse nine. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And all God's people say... Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. Well, we're not going to elaborate on this master text just yet. That's building the foundation for where we're about to go with the bulk of the teaching. But we'll circle back around and address this master text again toward the end of the teaching. But first, I want to do this. I want to talk about areas of pruning and tools of pruning Now we've been talking about pruning for the last several weeks now But we're going to continue on that theme And talk about other areas of pruning We talked about a couple of last week And we're going to talk another, about another couple of those areas today But areas of pruning and tools of pruning as well Alright, so can you handle some more of this? Okay, praise God. So let's begin with the primary areas of pruning. And the one that I'm going to deal with first this morning is your right to know why. Your right to know why. Okay, so let me elaborate on this. You know, we were born, we all were born with the uh, conviction that we deserve to be in control of our own lives. Am I right about that? But that assumption is Inconsistent and in conflict with the life of faith Let me say that again That assumption that you have the right To be in control of your life all the time Is inconsistent and in conflict with the life of faith That's why very early in the pruning process God may ask you to give up your right To know why certain things are happening to you I'm going to give you an example of that We talked about Abraham last week. I'll talk a little bit more about him today. You know, the scriptures tell us that Abraham um, was told by God to leave his extended family, his clan, and leave his homeland, the only one he had ever known, and take his immediate family and head out for a land that God would show him later. He didn't even know where he was going. He just said, head out. I'll show you where you're going later. Well, God was asking a lot of Abraham because Abraham had to convince his family that he had really heard from God, first of all, and he didn't even know where they were going yet or why. But he obeyed and the rest is history. He ended up being the uh, father of our faith. You know, God may not offer an explanation to you or me uh, why certain things have happened to you. And some things were not even his doing, by the way. But whether it was a wrong that you suffered at the hands of someone else, or whether it was just God's process of pruning in your own life, he simply asks that we trust him. He simply asks that we trust him. I like this verse out of Isaiah 49, 45, 9, out of the New Living Translation. I like how it words this. It says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot ex- exclaim, How clumsy can you be? So, a lot, of, a lot of times we demand to know why God does things the way that He does. Why did you make me this way? Why are things happening this way? But He doesn't always offer those explanations. So, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. In time, it will all make sense. And it will become clear how God has used the various experiences in your life to shape your character. Often we see those things in hindsight, don't we? You know, hindsight is 20-20, as they say. A lot of times we may not have any idea what's going on right now or why. But in hindsight, we see the wisdom of God and how he has used the experiences that you've gone through to shape your character to prepare you for your future. Now, give me a little feedback. You helped me out this morning with this teaching. Can you think of anybody in the Bible who went through things that they didn't, Understand Why they were going through it I mean hard things and They didn't understand why they were going through What they were going through But God used those experiences to shape their character For the destiny that he had in mind for them Can you think of anyone? Shout somebody out Joseph. Noah, David, who else? Joseph, Joseph absolutely my, One of my favorite examples Who else? Job, Job yes Mary, Mary absolutely Pretty much all the people in the Bible who were great patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith went through stuff that God would use later to shape their destiny. Yes, amen. If you're going through something right now that doesn't seem to make sense to you, guess what? You're in good company. You're in good company with the matriarchs and patriarchs of the faith, praise God. So just keep moving forward. Keep trusting God, even when you don't understand what's going on. Okay, so that's the the first area of pruning. The second one is this, um, our love for money and possessions. Our love for money and possessions. Now... God may be asking you to give up your right to achieve a particular kind of success. Not that money and possessions and success are wrong, of course, because there were many godly people in the Bible who were people of great wealth and success and possessions. So those things aren't necessarily wrong as long as they don't have you, as long as they're not gods, little g gods to you, as long as you're not materialistic and selfish, God doesn't mind you having nice things. But when you start getting greedy and materialistic and and selfish, that's when he has a problem with it. So he may try to prune us a little bit if that's what we're dealing with. Um, See, for you perhaps, God might be asking you to redefine what success looks like according to his priorities in your life. Are you with me? See, servitude to money, and I want to emphasize that word right there, servitude to money to money and possessions, drains our energies and our time and our loyalties. So on that note, I love this verse out of Proverbs right here, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And see, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Right? Because you'll either love the one and hate the other or vice versa. You know, Mark Suverkrupp made a great observation uh, after service a couple of weeks ago that God's command for us to tithe a tenth of our income is an example of pruning in our finances. And I'd never thought of it that way before. I think that's a great point. Uh, You know, God prunes back the excess in our finances so that we can have room to grow even more. And see, that's the whole point of pruning, is you prune back the excess so there's room to grow even more fruit. Isn't that what we've been talking about these last several weeks? So that can even be true in our finances. You see, if we allow God the process of pruning to continue even in our finances, then an exuberant freedom to bless others will emerge in its place as God blesses you with more. And that's that whole sowing and reaping process that we've talked so much about in the past. Uh, not only where your finances are concerned, but in several areas of your life, but certainly where your finances are concerned. So those are the two only areas of pruning that I'm going to be talking about today because there's several that we've talked about already and there's more that I'll talk about in, in subsequent teachings. But now I want to transition over and talk about the primary tools that God uses to prune us. Okay, are you ready for this? All right, the first one is the Bible. That should be very obvious. The Bible is one of God's primary tools to prune us. You should be reading your Bible on your own so you can get in the book. The book of James says that the the word of God is like a mirror. And you look in the mirror of God's word and you see yourself for how you really are, not what you thought you were, but how you really are. I think I've used the analogy in the past, I'll use it again today, that, uh, you know, I, I use readers now to, to read small print. Sometimes, you know, um, I'll, I'll go to the restroom and, and look in the mirror uh, without my readers. And I go, hey, for 57 years old, I look pretty good. But then if I happen to go into the restroom with my readers on and I look in the mirror, I go, oh, oh, oh wow. I didn't realize I looked like that. See, I looked in the mirror of truth, and I saw myself how I really am, not what I thought I was. And when you look in the Bible, you see yourself for how you really are, not what you thought you were. And you'll read something in the Word of God, and you'll go, oh, yeah, I need to adjust that area of my life, right? Right? So the Bible is a very, very important primary tool of pruning that God uses in your life, all right? Um, But how about this next one? People in your circle. People in your circle, God will use as a pruning tool. People in your school, at work, in your extended family, and yes, even in your immediate family, in your household. This will include your kids and your spouse. Does God use your kids and your spouse as a pruning tool? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. See, God uses marriage as a pruning tool. See, your marriage will test your character often, and so will your children. How many can give you an amen on that one? Yeah. See... We will have the opportunity to see the ugly truth about ourselves simply by how we respond when our family members drive us crazy. Right? See, the temptation will be to blame them for our reactions. Follow this thinking now. Our temptation will be to blame them for our reactions. But the truth is, in those moments, we get to have the opportunity to see a glimpse of ourselves that we may have never seen otherwise. And I'm not excusing the bad behavior of your family members, your spouse or your kids. But if you respond to bad behavior with more bad behavior then you get the opportunity to see yourself in truth as well. Am I making sense so far? And this is one of the beautiful things about marriage, by the way, because if you hang in there, God will use it to shape your character over the years. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you are going... I don't like that pruning tool. (laughs) You better get used to it. That's one of the primary ones that God uses. Let's talk about a couple of other ones here. Um, People in authority. A boss, a spiritual leader, um, a husband, uh, people that are in authority. God will use those people as pruning tools in your life because people in authority may tell you to do something that you don't want to do. But you have to decide, am I going to be humble and submit to my leader, my boss, my husband, my, my spiritual leader, whatever the case may be, am I going to honor God by honoring this authority in my life, or am I going to harden my heart and stiffen my neck? Because God does put those people in authority in your life for a reason to test your mettle, to test your character. If you respond appropriately, you'll grow as a result. I talked about in a previous teaching that sometimes God will put you under a leader who suddenly becomes harsh or unreasonable. You remember that? So I'm not gonna elaborate on that again since I touched on that in a previous teaching, but that is one of the tools that God uses is people in authority in your life, okay? I see my son Drew smiling over there at me. How about a coach, Drew? How about a coach? Coaches, yes, even coaches. Um, sometimes they behave in ways that are not always very nice, but we have to decide, am I going to submit, or am I going to harden my heart? Um, People in authority God uses. All right, now, here's another one. The church. Now, hear me out on this point, because, you know, (laughs) this is true. God uses the church as a pruning tool. That's true, because we learn things in church that we can't learn Just reading the Bible. Now hear me out on this. I'm not minimizing the Bible. Believe me. You know me. I am not minimizing the Bible. So just hear me out on this point. Acts 2.42 says this. They devoted themselves. It's talking about the early believers in the first century church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice the language there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It wasn't a casual thing. I'll go this Sunday if I feel like it. Well, no, it's not really that important. No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Oh God, to get back to that in our churches today, that we devote ourselves To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Can I say this for a second? I'm going to get, since I got kind of a little bit strong in our worship time, which is, you know, not my usual method, but, you know, hey, I'm going to roll, so I'll just do it again. (laughs) Because sometimes we just need to take our medicine. Do you agree with that? Um, And forgive me. I'm going to ask you to forgive me in advance for the strength of this statement. Because this may step on a few toes, but if it, if it hurts, let it hurt. If the shoe fits, wear it. If you, know, if you can't say amen, say oh me or something like that. Uh, people that, that have a, a low to moderate priority on the meeting of the house of God, that's a prideful position. You know why it's prideful? It's because, ah, eh, I don't need to go today. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm good just the way I am. That's prideful. It's like you can't you don't you're so far along in your faith that you don't think you can get a single thing out of going to church today and grow in the lord that's prideful. That's like that's extremely self-serving and 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 smug to just believe no big deal it's just church. God gave you his word and all the things that he gave you for your spiritual enrichment for a reason. And you're saying that when you go for weeks and don't read your Bible, you go for, you know, weeks at a time and don't come to church. Look, God, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm so spiritually mature that I don't need that. I'm okay. That's prideful. You think way more of your spiritual condition than you really ought to. Okay. Moving rapidly along. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just let that sink in. I, well, I'll just tell you this. You know, before I ever became a pastor, my first, one of my first, I, I first came to the Lord. I was like a week old in the Lord. My commitment was I am never going to miss a meeting. If I know of a meeting, I'm going to be there because I knew how much I needed it. And I've never, I've never slowed down on that. My, my, my accelerator has just been pushed down even more um, since that time. I, if, if there was a meeting, I was there. Sometimes I went to meetings five times throughout the week, as a matter of fact. Crashed ladies' meetings, did all kinds of crazy stuff. Because <laughs> I'm hungry for the Word of God. Where's our hunger for the Word of God? Where's our hunger to have people speak into our lives and teach us? It's a tool that God uses to prune you and to shape you and to mold you and to grow you. Why wouldn't we want to take advantage of all the things that God has put at our disposal to grow us? Praise God. You know, on this point, I've talked to people Um, even recently, who said, you know what, I've read a a passage in the Bible, a certain passage in the Bible, a hundred times, yet I saw it in a completely different light when I heard somebody teach on it. You ever had that happen? Yeah, exactly, which is another reason why church is so important, because you see things in a different light. God will teach you through the sermons and the teaching. I've had two people just this week tell me that something that they read in the Bible um, was confirmed later on with the Sunday morning teaching. So it was like the Holy Spirit was using um, the the teaching and emphasizing that particular thing in their lives that they had read previously in the Bible, and God was re-emphasizing that later on with the teaching as if to say, I really want you to pay attention to this particular area. I've had two people tell me that just this week. And you know what? Even if you disagree with something that you hear in a sermon, you know pastors aren't perfect. We can make mistakes sometimes. So even if you disagree with something that you hear in a sermon, you know what that does or should do? It should motivate you to dig into the Bible yourself and to get a firm conviction on that matter. And you know what? As a pastor, I don't mind being proven wrong if you say, hey, pastor, now, uh, by the way, let me just, since we're on this, let me just give you a little bit of protocol. Can I, get, can I do that? Yeah. Okay, here's the, here's the socially graceful way to approach something that you see or hear in a sermon that you might not agree with. You don't go in to the pastor with guns blazing with the idea, I'm going to tell him a thing or two. You go in like this, hey pastor, I heard you say something, I read that a little bit differently, I'm not sure about that, can you elaborate on that a little bit, can we talk about that? That's such a welcome way to approach a pastor and have that kind of discussion, but when somebody goes in with double barrels, I'm going to tell you a thing or two, I mean, that's just so unproductive, and I've had people do that before. So, if you have questions or objections, I don't mind. Let's just have a polite discussion about it. Amen? But what that should do, if you have a disagreement about something you hear in a sermon, dig into the Scriptures yourself and get a firm conviction on the matter, just like it tells us in Acts chapter 7 about the Bereans. So, let's read that together. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble of more noble character than the, the than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You don't have to take and probably should not take everything that I say. Hook, line, and sinker. Go read it yourself. Go study the Bible for yourself. There's no shortage of Bibles. You got about twenty thousand versions of them on your phone, for Pete's sake. And you probably have six or eight hard copies at home. Go study it out for yourself. Hallelujah. All right. Now, another way that God uses the church as a pruning tool is giving us the opportunity to learn patience. Now, hang with me on, on this. I'm going to elaborate on this for quite a a long time, quite a few minutes here. The church, God uses the church as a pruning tool to teach us patience. What do I mean by that? Well, you know what? You can read about patience over and over in the Bible, but until you actually have the opportunity to exercise patience, you don't really know about it. You know, I can read about shooting a basketball. But until I actually go out and practice, I don't really know how to shoot. Does that make sense? You know, similar to the example that I use with marriage, I've learned personally that God will, on purpose, put us in situations where people push our buttons. And when we react, we get to see what was lurking beneath the surface that we didn't even realize was there until it boils over. Should I say that again? God will maneuver certain situations in your life on purpose and put you in situations where people push your buttons so that when you react, you get to see firsthand what was lurking beneath the surface, unnoticed, until it boils over. And now you know it's there. And now you go, oh, I have to deal with that. Exactly, young man. Exactly, son. Exactly, daughter. And then when you see that happen, you have the opportunity to submit to God's refining process and deal with that ugly thing that he's trying to prune. Is this making sense so far? And there's lots of opportunities where that happens. You know, we talked about work, school, family. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, this even happens in the church. What do you think? You're going to come to church and it's just, just, just going to be a Shangri-La experience and nobody's ever going to rub you the wrong way? Come on, get real. In fact, I believe this is the, one of the very reasons why God ordains the church because people, for example, who might be retired and live alone and don't have a lot of other opportunities to be around other people except for in the church. And God uses other people in the church to further refine you. Can somebody say amen to that one? <laughs> That's why Colossians 3.13 says to bear with each other's weaknesses. Now, how are you gonna bear with each other's weaknesses in the body of Christ if you're never around other Christians very much? Okay, okay. And being in church on a regular basis gives you the opportunity to do just that if if you get involved, that is. Now, if you come in late and you leave early every Sunday and you never engage with anybody and if you never serve alongside someone and if you uh, never get involved in small groups, then you still may not have the opportunity to chisel one another, okay? And speaking of that chiseling, I'm getting that from Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That means sparks are going to fly. There's going to be friction sometimes as one man or woman sharpens another. That's why it says that. Okay? But when you start doing life together, then you're going to have lots of opportunities to exercise patience. When you start doing life together in the church, you're going to have lots of opportunities to exercise patience. Now, as I look back over my years of pastoring, I can see how God's hand has been at work in my life pruning me. And you know what? He's used the church to do it in my case as well. See, pastoring is not an easy job, and I've had the opportunity to walk away many times. And as a matter of fact, I've wanted to walk away more times than I can count. Um, But if I would have done that, you know, I would have never grown. And I wouldn't be bearing some of the fruit that I'm bearing today. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. And as I look out on the other side of the pulpit, I can see that God has been pruning other people too, or at least trying to. Trying to. What do I mean by that? Well, some people walk away at the first sign of trouble, folks. The first sign of trouble. You know, I love, by the way, you know, I I mentioned that some people walk away at the first sign of trouble. But we have a group of people in this church, the elders, who have refused to do stuff like that. They've refused to do that sort of thing. You know, our elders and I do agree on just about everything. That's so, such a blessing to be so united like that with our elders. But there have been a couple of occasions in years past where there's been sharp disagreements. But you know what? Our elders did not allow those occasions to disrupt what God is doing in this church or disrupt their own lives or disrupt our relationship. You know what? They're still here. They're still plugged in. They're still working for the advancement of the gospel. And they're still bearing much fruit. Praise God. And you know what? When, when you can do that, when you can have a sharp disagreement with someone and then work that out and just move on, you know what that is? That's a sign of maturity. I know I can depend on people like that, and God can depend on people like that. But when people just run away, at the first sign of trouble, that's a sign of immaturity. Amen. Immaturity. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's other people that walk away this I mean, the first sign of when the heat's on, they're out of here. Some people walk away because, for example, they may agree with 99% of everything that their church teaches, but when they find that one thing that they disagree with, that's all it takes for some people to just jump ship, it amazes me. Even though they were bearing much fruit prior to that time, it's a shame. You see, Satan, you've got to get this statement right here. Satan will not allow extravagant growth in your life to go unchallenged. That's not in your notes. You, you might want to write that one down. Satan will not allow extravagant growth in your life to go unchallenged. He's a strategist, for goodness sake. When you start... Making progress from the Lord uh, in the Lord, well, what do you think he's going to do? Just roll over and go? Oh my goodness, I'm beaten now. No, he's going to he's going to he's going to re-strategize. He's he will not allow that extravagant growth in your life to go unchallenged. See, when he sees you bearing much fruit, he's going to work very hard to get you in pride and to get you offended. Did you hear what I said? He's going to work very hard to get you offended and in pride so that he can divide the church and hinder your personal progress. I've seen it over and over and over again. You see, God uses the church, ladies and gentlemen, to prune our pride. And here's another one you may not realize. God also uses the church to sometimes prune our sense of doctrinal elitism. Ooh. Yeah. But some people will not submit to that level of pruning. Other people may jump ship simply because things begin to unravel in their personal lives and they they can't take the heat when that happens. They hit hard times in their marriages, for example, and rather than allow the, the people of God to gather around them and support them and speak into their lives, they disconnect, maybe because they're embarrassed, I don't know, there's many different reasons, but they disconnect during those times and then their marriages just implode. We've seen that happen too. That's very sad. Or some people simply don't want to submit to the painful shaping process that God will require of all of his children from time to time at different stages of their lives. And when it looks like the leadership is challenging them to come up to a higher level, they back away because they don't like that discomfort. But when I look out over this group of people sitting before me today, you know, I can see people who've been through the fire in several respects, and you're still here. You know, you're still hooked with the people of God, even though things haven't always been easy in your personal life or always easy even here in this church. And I want to congratulate you because you are submitting to the vine dresser's shears. You've learned that everywhere you go, no matter what church you're in or who you're married to, there's going to be seasons of pruning, folks. Man, I want to say that again. No matter where you go, no matter what church you're in or who you're married to or even what job you have, there's going to be seasons of pruning that God expects us to walk through so that he can help you to produce even more abundant fruit but pruning is the process that he uses to bring that abundant fruit you see you can back away from the shears you can back away from the vine dresser's shears and produce little or no fruit from that point forward or you can face the shears bravely clinging to the vine dresser that much closer during that process that reminds me of an experience that I had many years ago at a family reunion, and we were playing volleyball. And I was up on, on the net in the front row working the net, and there was a, uh, another family member, a, a young man, big guy, who was also working the net. And I remember uh, as the, the ball went up on his side, um, he was about to come down with a, a smash. Uh, he, wanted to make, he wanted to make me eat it, is what he was wanting to do. And uh, uh, he was a a big, athletic young man, and he, uh, he was coming down with his right hand to hit that ball. And I went up with my hand to try to block it. Well, rather than him hitting the ball, he missed. And he came down on top of my finger like that and snapped that finger at a joint and dislocated my finger. So right at the middle, middle joint there on my middle finger, it popped it right out of joint and I could literally take that finger and bend it backwards and touch the palm of my hand with it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nasty. So we went to the, the emergency room so I could have somebody pop it back in place for me. And, uh, the, the doctor who was working on me, he said, brace yourself (laughs) because it was going to hurt. Because he was going to have to take the end of that finger and yank it hard enough to pop it back into place. So he said, brace yourself, and I did. And I yanked the first time, and nothing happened. So he said, "Uh, I'm going to have to pull a little harder this time. So I had to give him my hand and submit to his pruning process, if you want to, to use that as an analogy for what we're talking about. I couldn't back away. From the pain, I had to face the pain if I wanted my finger to work right again. Because if I didn't, it's just going to be out of joint forever. It's never going to work right again. So I submitted my hand to his pruning, if you will, and he yanked and pop, popped it back into place. And I went, thank you very much. (laughs) And now my finger is perfect again. Praise the Lord. All right, why do I tell you that story? Because that's an example of pruning. We have to subject ourselves to God's pruning. And yeah, understand that sometimes it may be uncomfortable, but what lies on the other side of that is abundant growth and abundant fruitfulness and more satisfaction in your relationship with with the Lord, more joy and peace and more hope for the future. Praise the Lord. All right, so let's relate all this back now to our master text. So let's reread this, and then I'm going to make some, some points about this. So 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8, once again, says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have, must endure uh, Many kinds of many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Reading on. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. You know, folks, some people will never know in this life what they missed had they been willing to submit to the vine dresser's shears. They'll never know what they missed in this life had they only been willing to submit to the vine dressers' shears. They'll never know what God had in store for them. The ministry, the financial rewards, the lives they could have touched. And this is why I believe that some people will have a sense of loss and regret in heaven when they see what they could have had, but they forfeited. Now, this is not a theological hill that I'm willing to die on, so don't write me any nasty grams, okay? I'm just speculating here for a moment, so please speculate with me. you hear here for just a moment. I'm going to make a point about this. You know, Revelation 21.4 tells us that God will wipe away our tears in the new Jerusalem. But I wonder why there would be any tears at all once God is dwelling among his people and all things are put in order. Why would there be any tears at all to wipe away? When God is dwelling with his people and all things are put in order. Well, I wonder if there will be tears in heaven due to people realizing the rewards that could have been theirs had they just been faithful to what God called them to do. Had they not been so self-centered and had they only been willing to deny themselves a little comfort from time to time in order to submit to God's shears. Could this be what the Apostle Paul was talking about then when he wrote to the Corinthian church? Let's read this together um, out of 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, he's talking about your works here on earth that will be judged in heaven. If anyone, anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that day of judgment, the Bema Seat Judgment is what it's referring to, that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved Even though, as only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, some people are going to get in smelling like smoke, with no reward to show for it. Some people will experience. Listen, some people will experience great reward in heaven, while some people experience great loss. Isn't that what the text tells us? Even though we don't really know what that scene is going to look like, this one thing I do know, based upon this text, some people will experience great reward in heaven, and some people will experience great loss of reward. That's what the text tells us. Now the good news is that even those experiencing the loss will still get in if they trust Jesus as their Savior, hallelujah, that's the grace of God. But as far as the works that you did here on earth, see, look, look, if you're a Christian, if you love the Lord, at the Bema Seat Judgment, um, all of your sins, I've heard people explain what the Bema Seat Judgment is going to look like. And they say that all your sins are going to be shown up on a, on a screen for everybody to see and God to judge. That's not going to happen for the Christian. Your sins are under the blood. When you get to the Bema Seat judgment, your sins aren't even there anymore. It's not your Bema Seat judgment for the Christian isn't about your sins. That's for the unbeliever. Their sins will be exposed and judged. But the Bema Seat judgment, your your and my sins are not even going to be an issue because Jesus washed them away with His blood. But what will be judged are works here on earth to determine whether or not we get a reward when we get in. That's how the Bema Seat judgment works. So, hallelujah, those that, that don't have a reward, if they trust Jesus, they still get in. But there are different levels of reward in heaven. Not everybody's going to be rewarded the same. Some people think, I, I think, that heaven's going to be like some sort of heavenly socialism where everybody's the same. That's not what heaven's going to look like. Some people are rewarded, and some people have loss of reward. Okay? Okay. Now, don't you want to get into heaven with a reward? Amen. Well, if that's what we're after, then we're going to have to pay better attention to how we live here and now. We're going to have to allow God to prune us. And that means stop living for just our own comforts, our own pleasures, and our conveniences 24-7. God's called you and me to, to an army of God. A, a, a titanic conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness that you have been called to be engaged in. Yeah, yeah. He did not call you to some sort of spiritual lazy boy recliner experience. Right. Yeah. Not what this is. Okay? We're going to have to allow God to prune us and stop living just for our own comforts, pleasures, and conveniences. See, ladies and gentlemen... God has a call on each and every one of your lives. You're here for a reason. Some of those calls are big and very noticeable to everyone, and some are behind the scenes, but he has a call on your life. He's a call on your life. But you'll never find it, as long as your comforts and your rights are your highest priorities. You, you, you take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's what he said. You take up your cross and follow Jesus. And that's a good news thing. Because man, if you follow Christ, I mean, you're, you're going to leave some things behind. But he's going to give you so much more that you never even dreamed of or imagined. But the leaving behind of certain things as he prunes those out of your life may be uncomfortable at first. So what is God saying to you today? Is there something he's asking you to give up? And it may not even be something necessarily sinful. It could be just something that takes up way too much of your time, way too much of your your energies, your attention, your thought life, etc. But it could be something sinful. And if it is, you need to deal with it. What is God saying to you today? Is there something he's asking you to give up so that you can draw closer to him? to be more effective for his kingdom? Is there something he's asking you to do? To walk in his presence more intimately, maybe? Something to do that he's instructed you to make a bigger impact on the world around you for his kingdom, perhaps? Fill in the blank. There's not a single person in this room, brothers and sisters, that God is not trying to prune. The question is, Will you let him? Will you let him? Your destiny depends on how you respond to that question. See, God is trying to get all of us to the place that we're bearing much more fruit. But so often we don't recognize the tools that he uses, which is why we're on this series so if you haven't caught all of these teachings in the series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to all of these on the website because each one builds upon the next. We have to recognize the process of pruning that God uses and the tools that he uses so that we don't misunderstand what's happening when pruning takes place. But thank, thank God he's teaching us to recognize how pruning comes and how to respond to it so that by this time next year, You could be bearing way more fruit than you've ever had in your entire life. You could be bearing way more fruit than you've ever bore your entire life this time next year if you begin to recognize how God prunes you and you respond to him asking you to do the pruning in certain areas of your life. Because if you don't do it, sometimes God steps in and does it for you. Praise God. All right, I'm almost done. You know, you may not always know what God is doing behind the scenes in your life. He simply asks us to follow him blindly, sort of like that picture on the screen there. He simply asks that we follow him blindly at times, trusting that he knows what he's doing, even when it seems like that everything is out of control in your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us today to do as the disciple John did at the Last Supper and just lean back on the bosom of Jesus and relax, knowing that your future is in his hands. You know, folks, one of the greatest signs of faith, listen to me, one of the greatest signs of faith, of great faith, is when you can follow God on blind faith. At times when you don't understand what's happening. And that's where I want to leave you with again a passage that I left you with last week. And I'm gonna end our time together today with the same passage because it's during those times when you don't understand what's happening that you need to be encouraged about God's intentions toward you. And that's where I love Jeremiah 29:11. Which once again says, for I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future in a hope. That's God's intentions toward you. Even when it looks like, like in the case of Moses and Joseph and a lot of the patriarchs of the faith that you... You threw out there, when I asked the question, who are some people that you can think of that went through those times of pruning, that they didn't understand what was happening, that God was preparing them for the future. You, you, you threw out several names. Well, those are people that went through this process when they had no idea what was going on. Everything was in disarray. Everything was out of control. They were going through emotional pain and trauma. And when you're going through a situation like that, they always, you always have to be reminded of God's intentions toward you. that He loves you. All he's trying to do is prune things out of your life that are hindering your progress so that you can bear more fruit later. And he does that even at the risk sometimes of you misunderstanding his methods and his intentions toward you. And that was kind of what was happening with the, in the time of Jeremiah. Because people's prayers weren't being answered. People were in rebellion. And he sent Jeremiah to tell them, look, you've been saying a lot of bad things about me, God said. You've been accusing me of some, some terrible things. But you know what? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So stick close to his side regardless of what you're going through. Stay close to his side. Let him take you through that valley of the shadow of death so he can bring you to the mountaintop later on. Donna, would you come and play something, please? Stand with me if you would. Close your eyes with me. I just want to start to come to a close here before we pray. I just want you to have, as we've been doing through this series, we've done, been doing this quite a bit more during this series where we've been asking you to just, just have a, a private time between you and the Lord. I, I just I felt like the Holy Spirit told me at This morning, before I even got here, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that some people have been squirming through this series. I haven't really gotten that idea just from looking at you all, just an impression that the Lord has gave me this morning, that there's a few people in here that have been squirming through this series, either because you're hanging on to a sin that God's been trying to prune out of your, of your, uh, out of your life and you've been dragging your feet and dealing with that thing or he's been dealing with you about something that's not even sinful but that has been way too much of an emphasis in your life and has become sort of an idol and God's been dealing with you about that too and you've been squirming through that process And I just want you to know that whatever you decide to give up for the sake of obeying God, he's never interested in just taking away from you just because he wants to keep you from having fun. He's always interested in adding to you. But he has to take you through this process of pruning back certain things first so that there can be more extravagant fruit and growth in your life later. But some people never will allow God to take them through that pruning process. They always back away from the shears. I believe the Holy Spirit is just saying to those of you that may be dealing with that process right now. My son, my daughter, it's not my intention to harm you. It's my intention to bless you. It's my intention for you to enjoy my presence before because I think many of you in the room right now, some of you don't even enjoy your relationship with the Lord that much. Sometimes you, you think it's drudgery. And the Lord wants you to enjoy your relationship with him. But sometimes we have to allow ourselves to pass through that refining fire before we get to that place where we're really enjoying our relationship with the Lord like never before. Hasn't the Lord said in His Word that that those who will train like an athlete. will experience a, a crown that never fades away. You know, athletes train the way they do for a crown that passes away. But we do what we do in the Lord's kingdom for a crown that will never fade or spoil or pass away. And that's what he has in mind for you. I want to leave you with this last thought and then we're going to pray. Just keep, just keep your eyes closed. Just believe the Lord's speaking to some people this morning. The scriptures also tell us that in a great house, there are articles but both for honorable use and those for dishonorable. In other words, there's elegant vases that are designed for beautifying the house, but then there's trash cans. Both serve a purpose, but for ones for honorable use and one's for dishonorable. The scriptures tell us that if if we will cleanse ourselves, if we'll cleanse ourselves from the latter, meaning the dishonorable stuff, that we will be a vessel for honorable use. Useful to the master is what it says. I just believe the Holy Spirit saying to you that my son, my daughter, I, I want you to be a vessel of honorable use that's useful to me but if you refuse to let go of these things that I've been dealing with you about in your life you'll never get there you might still get into heaven but you'll get there bumping along, getting slapped around by life, never fulfilling the call that God has on your life never being very fruitful for the kingdom at all if you hang on to your own rights, your own ways, your own conveniences and comforts and pleasures and sins. And yes, I think there's people in this room right now that fit that category. And God's talking to you right now. And you know what? It may be a majority of the people in the room because some people may be dealing with sinful things that God is dealing with, but there's others of you that may not be dealing with something sinful at all. You're just, God's talking to you about making some adjustments in your life that you've drug your feet in, in, in responding to. And he, he's asking for a response this morning.